1: Welcome to All Things Policy. Today, I'm joined by Adil Brar, who is a Foreign Affairs columnist at The Print and is a visiting scholar at the National Junction University and is based in Taipei. Welcome to All Things Policy, Adil.
0: Thank you, Bharat. Thanks for having me on the podcast.
1: So there's so much discussion about the kind of strategic relevance of certain metals. I mean, you know, there's been so much coverage, there's been so much just like conversation about the usage of metals in kind of national security or how metals are relevant to national security conversations. Uh, and of course, metals do kind of factor in into the technological profile of a particular country. So in that context, I mean, let's begin with just asking, how is it that metals, you know, are relevant to to security, uh, to security or, or just relevant to, you know, what kind of strategic vulnerabilities a particular country has?
0: Thanks for that question. It's a good question i think the reason that we are having this conversation now is because there is a heavy influence on you know how countries go about building their cutting edge technology and that influence comes from you know securing the resources that are required for building you know high tech aircrafts and other kind of technology so the countries were always aware of these vulnerabilities but with a emphasis on national security, now everybody's realizing that you have to secure these supply chains. And that primarily goes back to 2020, when COVID started, everybody for the first time saw that these supply chains, which were integral to the global you know, development and um, industry, was disrupted for the first time. And everybody realized that it can actually happen. So I will take you back to the Trump administration when, for the first time, these rare earth metals caught the attention of the world. And the reason that China started discussing the rare earth minerals is because it was one of the tools that they wanted to use against Trump's own sanctions imposed on Chinese goods. So China was looking to retaliate against a series of actions taken by Donald Trump and his presidency. So they found that the vulnerability that U.S. has in terms of access to high technology would be rare earth minerals, though U.S. itself is rich in all kinds of rare earth minerals, but they don't produce them. And the cost of production within the U.S. was high. So they had to rely on China. And China realized there is this vulnerability that they can use in terms of hitting back at the U.S. And this kind of economic nationalism was building up over time. You can see from 2016 onwards, when Trump came into power, he started talking about trade war. And the trade war simmered down into a tech war because that's where the competition narrows down to. That's where, you know, the profits are. That's where the high end financial, you know, world is kind of tied up in terms of US-China competition. So both sides realized if they want to be the hegemon in international relations, they have to somehow control, you know, high-tech innovation. And for that, you need all these rare earth minerals, which are like key. So that's where I think the history in the current context lies. But In terms of, you know, if you go back into the previous Cold War during the Soviet period, we had similar tensions where the Soviet Union was trying to control certain sets of technologies or even steal them, for a matter, from the U.S. to remain ahead in that competition. And China has tried that as well. But now U.S. has been taking these very kind of targeted actions against China, which China had to obviously retaliate because, you know, in China, we have this uh, hyper-nationalism within the public's affair, which asks for certain actions. And the leadership was quite aware if they don't do anything right now, the U.S. will continue with its kind of the de-risking strategy that we've seen in the past few days. They started talking about de-risking these supply chains. So the supply chain issue is very much about economic nationalism remaining ahead in the race of international politics. And both the sides are competing against each other in terms of who gets to, you know, control the supply chains of rare earth minerals. But we'll have to see who gets to be ahead in the game because US will now try to figure out how to diversify their supply chains for the rare earth minerals.
1: Yeah. And if I can ask you, you know, what was it about the Trump presidency that began this kind of, as you mentioned, I think a tech war, right? I mean, was it Let's say about the Trump presidency, or was it actually about just the world in which we were operating? I mean, what what exactly? I mean, how do you how do you kind of think about the emergence of of the trade war in the last few years? I mean, what what do you think are the kind of perennial causes with the tech war?
0: The underlying causes, uh, you know, has been China catching up to the U.S. in several domains. We can't deny this is a fact. China has caught up in certain domains. They have been trying to even build up their domestic you know semiconductor industry with the rise of huawei and you know the 5g technologies for the first time us realized that their companies were nowhere in the global you know global industrial complex and they were not really out there competing with uh, companies And china presented a model which could not just you know replace the us security architecture but like an economic architecture because underlying power of the us security architecture is the economic building blocks that allow us to extend power in different regions of the world and china for the first time had this capability which i think a sort of ultra nationalist government in the us realized is threatening to their interest and there was a basis where the local population in the us was feeling that they are being left behind by this kind of competition where their voices are not being heard. And I think anybody who is in the political affair would make use of that opportunity. It happened to be Trump who realized that there is this sentiment within the U.S. that the competition with China or the cooperation with China with the previous administrations had not really helped the U.S. So there has to be something done. It could have been some other president who could have done that. So I would look at the economic factors underlying why Trump administration did what they did because the tensions with China were slowly building up, China catching up in different affairs, you know, from uh, high tech to even high end science research, is where they were at least making some mark. And this is something U.S. realized the Soviets were not able to do—kind of develop a comprehensive national power which can replace the American model. So that spooked a lot of people in Washington. And they started looking for ways to stop China's rise. We can talk about different things, you know, what US is now trying to do. The US Secretary of State says that they're not not trying to stop China's rise, they're not trying to decouple. But the fact is, there is a sentiment where the US feels that they have to slow down China's progress in certain fields and remain ahead of China to maintain that edge that the US has in the international political affairs so that they can project the power. Because if the underlying factors which promote US as the global hegemon, if they slip away and China has at least a decent presence within Asia and certain regions of the world, they can challenge the US in those fields. And so Trump and his team, if you look at the sort of people who were surrounding Trump, his China team, with kind of a very realistic understanding of what this competition is with China. And some of the people on his team had spent time in China. They came back, they realized U.S. is not doing the things it should be doing to stay ahead. So it's a combination of factors. One would be economy, society, as well as politics that pushed Trump and his team to take these actions where they wanted to challenge, at least seek a fairer trade with China, which they felt US is not trying to do. So, and if we look at the broader global context as well, we could see that China was very much present in Pacific, in Asia. So um, US realized that all these allies are also struggling. So if China keeps them in a corner, if China is able to challenge Japan, South Korea, that itself will eventually lead towards a more direct challenge to the American security architecture in East Asia. So U.S. had to do something about it. And they found that economy and the technologies affair is where China is doing pretty well. And that's where they need
1: to challenge Beijing directly. Right, and that's the Trump presidency, right? I mean, when you move to the Biden presidency now and kind of these ext- export control curves that you see with the US, with, with, with Japan, with Netherlands, now you've seen a retaliatory kind of move by the Chinese on metals like gallium and germanium. How do you diagnose you know, what's happening today? Do you think the world that we live in now and and the the curves that, that appear now in this particular context are remarkably different from what was happening during, let's say, the Trump presidency?
0: So what we are seeing right now is a somewhat of a continuity in terms of policy with Biden. It's being, if you remember, the trade sanctions which were imposed by Trump are still around. So U.S., could see that with those sanctions and with the trade war, they could not really change China's behavior. China continued to act in a certain way. So the Biden team had to figure out how to at least slow down China's rise. And the underlying factor comes down to something which everybody's talking about nowadays, that's semiconductors. So the recent uh, restrictions on the metals which was imposed is directly related to a key technology, semiconductors, which is something that runs the world. It's the oil of the world to be very kind of crude with describing what semiconductors are. So US realized they still have an edge in this technology. And if China is able to move ahead, that can again seriously threaten US's interest as well as its allies. So Biden is Biden and his team has tried to they've tried to create a Framework with these allies, the semiconductor companies in South Korea in uh, in Taiwan and elsewhere, they come together to restrict china's access to the tools that make these semiconductors and in response, China tried to circumvent these um, you know restrictions by buying more of the Nvidia chips so what they've done is the restrictions that came in Chinese companies realized that they can still conduct their computing or like high end kind of testing of their language models by buying more chips so they bought more of the nvidia chips and which was a way to circumvent these restrictions imposed by biden team but then they realized that biden was looking at even more sanctions even restricting the access to those chips so the the recent action that we saw is somewhat looking ahead and trying to counter upcoming us actions which are very much possible which are restricting access to even further you know access to these semi semiconductor chips which can slow down the growth of chinese tech companies so coming to the restrictions themselves so these are very targeted restrictions on these two minerals gallium and germanium these minerals are actually available around the world, but China's mastered the art of making them for cheap and selling them. So they have a certain uh, margin that they enjoy by producing these minerals. So they thought that maybe by picking up these minerals, they can send a message to the US that we can actually hurt you in this tech war um, by picking up a very targeted kind of action, which um, US thought China never will. Um, to an extent because they thought about it during the Trump era. They didn't do anything. They moved on. Um, So U.S. kind of thought maybe China will not take these extreme actions because it's not a very good option, to be honest, because you can source these minerals from elsewhere. Sure, there'll be a slight bump in the price, but you can go to Australia. You can even go to parts of you know, Europe, Africa, Latin America, where these deposits, even in the U.S., they are easily available. But it's just you have to ramp up your production. You have to invest in these basic technologies to uh, extract these minerals. So maybe the U.S. thought it was something that was that was never going to happen. But China decided to, anyways, go with it because they don't have any other options left to retaliate. So. It's going to escalate from where I am looking at things. I think U.S. is likely to continue with the um, um, a national security argument to restrict access to more semiconductors. And China is likely to retaliate with even more restrictions on other rare earth minerals which are required for uh, you know, military technology. I think I expect that to happen um, if U.S. continues to impose uh, even more restrictions. Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break.
1: what exactly when you say that these metals restrict your opponent, let's say, you know, you talked about semiconductors, you talked about military technology, other instances, specifically, where you can point out and say, okay, sure, you know, gallium and germanium and a restriction of those metals will result in in these specific events that will happen. So you will have a denial of certain technology. So what, what kind of these, what are these technologies that are part of, you know, let's say military tech or, you know, sem- when you say that you won't be able to make chips in, a, in an efficient way, what, what exactly is the is the effect of that? So, I mean, these are specific kind of events happening, but what are the larger kind of repercussions of these uh, export control curbs? One
0: area where this will have a direct impact is radar technology. So if we look at the military tech uh, related to radars that will have a direct impact, Though most of the companies which are behind these technologies have so far said they're not going to face any severe impact because they'll be able to source replacements for whatever has been imposed. But in broader sense, I think, especially for India, if you look at where India fits into this US-China competition, I think we might be on a receiving end at this point because we don't have easy alternatives yet. India will have to work hard because I think in India, the government has been trying to figure out which minerals are critical for, you know, domestic production of certain technologies that Prime Minister Modi has been pushing for. So it will have one impact on India, which I can see is figuring out alternatives in our own, be it military, be it even broader things like, you know, you have modems and all kinds of IT equipment that also requires semiconductors. So that's where we are likely to also struggle. And in the broader context, I will say it will only have a very minimal impact based on what I've been reading in the past few days. And that's where China seems to be restrained because they had to do something. They had to send a message. They did it for domestic audience, kind of a domestic projection. But I think they very well know this will not really dent, put a dent in US's capability to um, find alternatives because supply chains are integrated. There are other options. But this starts a, a kind of a, a rolling effect where now economic nationalism will be seen more so in the supply chain domain, which everybody was anyways talking about it. It will push countries to look for other partners. It will only hurt China More so, that's my own opinion, because countries will start thinking seriously that China is using this card, which they have discussed in the past. They said they will not do it, but they're doing it, which means their assumptions about a kind of economic nationalism taking over Chinese politics is very much the case. You can have your premier go to Germany, talk about, oh no, we are not trying to decouple from you. Don't decouple from us. But all of that is a rhetoric suited for a certain political class, but in fact, China will do whatever to fight back. That's what is reflected very much in their new foreign affairs law. So it has an impact on businesses as well. They can't anymore say, oh, look, maybe China says something, they do something else. Uh, They're very much saying and doing the same thing. So the governments around the world will tell their businesses, oh, look, you have to Find alternatives. You have to do something about this. This is going to hurt our national interest. So national interest overall, I think the broader trend is going to be kind of an economic nationalism, securitization, which we will see in India, in East Asia and around the world.
1: Right. And how how do you see this? I mean, you mentioned briefly how you might see more export control curbs. You might see an escalation of that. You might see other rare earth minerals uh, or metals being kind of, you know, uh, securitized. Which metals are we looking at? I mean, are are there certain metals you think if there is an escalation, they will obviously come into conversation and, and are, you know, how do you see the, the war kind of progressing? What kind of likely estimations can we provide of the war as, as you see it today?
0: So one rare that comes to my mind is neodymium. That's something even China has excess of and they are good at making neodymium and it's required in cutting edge technology. I think that's one metal that I can think of, but there are a whole series of uh, rare earth minerals that go into different kinds of technologies. I have personally not uh, tracked every single, you know, rare earth and where you know they end up, but based on expert commentary, people who work in this field, I think there, China has a significant, you know, dominance in making rare earth minerals and selling them to uh, different countries. So I personally think China will use if U.S. pushes further, which is very much likely because you can see when the Treasury Secretary was in Beijing, she mentioned U.S. is not going to compromise on national security, which is a message that they will continue doing things that they were planning to do regardless of what Beijing thinks, which means other minerals will come into play and maybe even... China could look at restricting access to different basic technologies which are required because there was some stories about a rare metal, I don't remember the name, which goes into US's F-35 jet, which was part of the whole, you know, framework of the jet. And it was um, in there and the Pentagon people had to, you know, do something about it. There's whole talk about uh, maybe it's being used by China to... Uh, monitor US technology. So it's going to be kind of very overreactive, you know, response to small things. Sometimes they're going to make sense, but sometimes it's just pure kind of political economic nationalism. So I can't tell you exactly which piece of technology is going to be on the cards for Beijing. But I certainly think this thing is going to escalate and rare earths are one of the you know, elements that will come into play, but there could be other things that come into play. We've seen this with Australia, with Canada, China imposing restrictions on even food, things like, you know, basic things that go into food. China could look at that uh, retaliating wherever required. And that is why, you know, certain countries have realized it's not worth fighting everywhere. So they are picking their battles. Like Australia went back to China looking for, a kind of a new bargain, a settlement where they can access certain raw materials, but this doesn't mean China will not look for better options. Because ultimately, it's about U.S. and China. Other countries are going to sort of scramble within the soup that we find ourselves in the geopolitics. And it really is anybody's guess where tomorrow, you know, the curbs will come from
1: sure and you briefly mentioned the the effect that india how you know operations in india might be affected but let's just you know th- think about i mean you know let's zoom in into that picture a bit i mean what what exactly i mean is how 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 is india relevant to to the tech war i mean in what way would indian businesses be impacted and then what i mean if you were to put a an economic kind of value to the impact do you think it's 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 large enough for for us to worry i mean of course, you know if escalations do 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 take place, I mean that that significantly kind of increases vulnerabilities and so on. But but as things stand now, what kind of impact are we looking at?
0: I think I'm more concerned about because India is trying to shore up their own semiconductor business um, in its own territory. That's something which will complicate things. You know how. How do we offer a safe space for these companies which want to set up their operations in India? How are they going to operate in this geopolitical environment where things are so dynamic? And that's what we will need to think about. In terms of India's uh, rare earth dependence, I think we depend on China quite a bit, but we also source significant other kind of rare earths from Japan and elsewhere. So India's dependence directly might not be as bad as what us is facing but then again like we would you know bring those technologies from the us and elsewhere so we would be indirectly facing certain impact but i think it's it's in the supply chains that's where india is going to have to think more carefully you know if even this germanium decision was something i think nobody was expecting in india it came as somewhat of a surprise, so it's going to be somewhat surprising where these things come from because the U.S.-China competition right now is in multiple domains. So you'll have to be prepared to kind of you know map out where the vulnerabilities are for the companies, um, be it automobile industry. That's one thing that I can think about uh, immediately because a lot of these you know cars uh, have semiconductors and other you know sensors which require rare earth minerals that would go into, you know, automotives being made in India. So that's where a direct economic impact can be assessed. But there are alternatives. The alternatives are there. It's not just all these minerals are only in Chinese mainland. It's finding, you know, alternatives along with the U.S. and other countries, which are willing to shore up their own, you know, production. And, interestingly enough rare earths are also critical for like technology related to climate change you know solar panels and which again china has dominance in so china makes significantly large number of solar panels which are required for india's own transition in the um, climate affair so that's where we can expect some difficulties emerging but i think we are just waking up to the fact this is very much possible. So in coming days, I'll have more to say exactly
1: which fields will
0: may uh, you know feel the uh, pinch.
1: With that, thanks so much, Adil, for joining us for a conversation at All Things Policy. Really enjoyed the conversation. And let's hope that the escalation, I mean, that we spoke about does not occur. I mean, I think, as you said, I think there is a lot of, I think, supply chains. I mean, with the US and China, I mean, a tech war between them, I think, does hurt chips worldwide so I think that that is something to to look out for. Thanks Bharat, thanks for
0: having me and I'd love to get back on the podcast, talk about other things, US, China and it's an interesting time to be watching everything from here in Taipei where the competition is quite in your face, it's not just you know supply chains, it's more about security and other things. Thank you so much, thanks. Thanks Bharat
1: at takshashila inst or our website takshashila.org.in